Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get podcasts. This is Undiscovered. Today we're going to try something a little bit different. Okay. We're going to help someone. Great. I love being helpful. Mm-hmm. We're going to help someone with their science question. Okay. 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 So this is an experience I think we are all familiar with. We see a headline that says something like, tomatoes cause cancer. No. <laughs> Bad news. The next day, we get some good news. We see a headline that says, uh, drinking five beers a day reduces your risk of cancer. Obviously, these are not real examples. Right. So... You stop eating tomatoes, you start drinking a lot of beer, you're feeling really good about your health choices, time passes, and then, oops, you hear beer is out, tomatoes, back in. And at a certain point, you start to wonder, am I getting good advice here? It's kind of whiplash. Exactly. So today, we are going to help my friend David with one of these headlines. And hopefully, we'll also get a bit of insight into why this happens. Like, how do we get a piece of advice one day and then a complete reversal later, like, How much of that is the science actually evolving? And how much of that is science journalism that's getting stuff wrong? I know that's us. So we're going to look inward today also. Okay. Okay, so here's what happened. My friend David is a very health-conscious guy. He cooks all the time, very nutritious foods. You know, he exercises, he flosses, he does... He he wears a mouth guard at night. Yeah. Was he the guy who got you lifting weights? Yes. (laughs) Had an ass like a shelf. (laughs) For about I six thought, months. I thought there was a reason I remembered him. Okay. Okay, so so David is a very healthy guy, and he's also vegan, which means that he's not getting B12 from his diet. B12, it's not found in vegan food unless that food is fortified. And Annie, let me tell you, B12 is a very important vitamin. You need it to make red blood cells. You need it to make DNA. It's a little bit crucial. It is. So David, being very responsible, takes B12 supplements. But then he reads that B12 supplements might give him lung cancer. Whoa, really? Yeah. And David, he's not the kind of person to unquestioningly accept things. He does his reading. And understandably, he was deeply disturbed by this. Yeah. Uh, But at the same time, I was skeptical. Like, we obviously hear a lot of scary headlines that turn Mm. out to be completely wrong. And so I wanted to investigate, like, is this real or is this just a big misunderstanding? Because that never happens in health journalism. Never. Um, So I thought, Annie, you and me, we together could get to the bottom of this. We're like sleuths. We're like science sleuths. (laughs) So first step, super obvious, and I've already done this, um, is to look it up. On Google. Are we just going to Google it? We're going to Google it. This is the extra expertise that we bring. Something I've learned in the biz. Uh, Okay, so I'm going to Google lung cancer B12. First hit. OSU.edu. That's the Ohio State University. So that's where the press release for this study came from. So headline. Long-term high-dose vitamin B6, B12 use associated with increased lung cancer risk among men. That's pretty clear cut. That's not good. Yeah. Okay, let's look at some other. Okay. Okay. Can B vitamins cause cancer? 
Good question headline. Can never get in trouble with a question mark headline. No. Okay, this is going to take a while. I obviously need, need to do some reading. So how about we break? You don't think people want to listen to us read aloud <laughs> articles from the internet? I mean... Okay. Are you ready to hear what I found? Yes. So this was a bit of a roller coaster. Um, at first, this looked really bad. I started with the news coverage, and pretty much all of it seemed to back up what David was saying. And then I followed up and looked at the actual study in the Journal of Clinical Oncology. I started with the abstract. Like the executive summary at the top of the paper. Right. The TLDR of scientific studies. Right. It's a good place to start. And it didn't look good either. Here's here's the key line. Use of vitamin B6 and B12 from individual supplement sources, but not from multivitamins. So this isn't like the B12 that's in your multi. It's like Mm -hmm. a dedicated B6 or B12. So use of these vitamins uh, was, quote, associated with a 30% to 40% increase in lung cancer risk among men. That's pretty definitive. Yeah. And then, then it goes on to say, quote, for vitamins B6 and B12, The risk was even higher among men who were smoking at baseline, which is like, sounds kind of obvious. If you smoke, it's going to make your risk of lung cancer even higher. Fairly obvious. Yeah. This is going to be a very short episode. (laughs) David, you're right, buddy. Lay off the B12. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, so at this point, it seemed really cut and dry. It seemed like the study was, in fact, saying people who take B12 are at higher risk of lung cancer. Um, smoking will make that risk even higher, or at least that's what I thought the study was saying. But what did the study actually say? Well, it didn't say that. Yeah, I called up the lead researcher. He's at The Ohio State University, Theodore Brasky, or goes by Ted. And Annie, everything that I told you before is wrong. How? So let me back up a bit. I called Ted because, you know, I read the abstract, I read these these headlines, I had an impression. When I looked at the study, the full paper, not just the little TLDR summary at the top, I started to think that I had this actually very wrong. And I wanted to make sure I wasn't screwing this up. So I contacted Ted. He was very down to talk. And I told him everything, starting from the beginning. My vegan, non-smoking friend who takes B12 religiously was like totally freaked out because he read that B12 supplements cause lung cancer. So let's just clear this up right at the top. This study does not say that these vitamins cause lung cancer. And I'm not talking about the word cause versus, you know, causation versus correlation. Like, David has nothing to worry about. There is nothing in this this paper that says he is at higher risk of lung cancer. But how could that possibly be true? We're going to get there. So first, the reason that Ted and his team even did this study is that an earlier study in Norway had found higher rates of cancer in people that took certain B vitamins. And it seemed like lung cancer was the specific cancer that was driving this association. And so what Ted wanted to check was, is there really something going on here? And so here's how he did that. We did a, this is a large, what we call prospective cohort study. So there's a 13 county region in in the state of Washington. 13 county region where there's a cancer registry. That means if a person is diagnosed with a uh, a serious cancer, basically any cancer other than non-melanoma skin cancer, it's reported to this 13-county region registry. Cancer registries, super useful for cancer researchers. And Ted's colleague had a big database of people in these counties, a bunch of people who'd filled out a survey about their lifestyle. 
things like what vitamins do they take? Do they smoke? All the kinds of things that might be factors in their cancer risk. And these people also allowed the researchers to track whether they developed cancer over the years. So about 77,000 people sign up for this. Holy smokes. Yeah, which is great from a statistical power standpoint. Yeah. And what they find is first, like I said before, women, no problem, no link found between vitamins and their cancer risk. But for men like David, who we also care about, we also care about. And this is the part that sounds really bad. The men who took the highest average doses of B6 or B12 had almost double the risk of lung cancer. So I don't I don't see how we're going to turn this around for David. Uh, I'm sorry. Yes. But believe it or not, we actually can. Okay. To explain this, I have been working on an analogy. Oh god. <laughs> it's a, it's a little bit silly. Um, uh-huh. But I think it'll help. It involves bananas. Great. Don't the best explanations always. Okay. So imagine, imagine I do a survey of the people of Rhode Island, which is about a million people. Okay. And I find the more bananas people eat, the more slip and falls they have. <laughs> I feel like I know where this is going. Uh, okay. Just, just wait. Okay. So I feel pretty confident about my result. It's based on a big sample size, 1 million people. I do some fancy statistics and decide there's a real pattern here. More bananas, more problems. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, why would this be happening? Uh My first idea, hypothesis number one, bananas make you clumsy. I'm going to go with that's not the right answer. Maybe it's a neurological thing with the potassium. But you're you're probably right. That's probably not it. So my second hypothesis... People are like leaving the... The peels banana around. peels. They're eating bananas, dropping the peels on the ground, and slipping on them. Yes. Right? So what do I do next? You don't know. I don't know. I will tell you. I split up Rhode Islanders into groups. Group one, people who always drop their banana peels on the ground. Okay. We'll call them... Slobs. Care- carefree. Messy. Okay. Group group one, we'll call them messy, but with no judgment. Okay. Group two... People who are inconsistent. Sometimes they throw it on the ground. Sometimes it's semi-messy. Group number three. I imagine you fall into this category. Tidy people who are always putting their banana peels away. I don't think it's a high bar for tidiness to throw a banana peel in the garbage. This is a hypothetical example. But yeah, I am a I am a proud member of the tidy subgroup. Noted for the record. Okay, so we have three groups. We have messy, semi-messy, and tidy. And what I find is that this link between high banana consumption and slip and falls, I'm only really seeing it in the super messy people. Tidy people, almost no slip and falls, which seems like like great news for you anyway. Not so good for the messy people. Yes, yes. Um, You should be able to say eating bananas in itself, not inherently dangerous. It's bananas plus this complicating factor of how messy you are. But. Here's where it gets tricky. It would actually be accurate for me to write up a headline that says, eating more bananas tied to higher injury rates. Because I actually saw this exact pattern. That was my original finding. Right. right? Like I looked across a million people. But can't you just do like subheading? But if you're tidy, no worries, dude. Okay, so here's the problem. In the tidy group, very few slip and falls. There were so few that I couldn't even do that analysis if I wanted to. Like say in in all of tidydom, a measly 10 people fell. Yeah. Six of those people, heavy banana users, four weren't. Like, what do I do with that? The numbers are so small. Right. I can't analyze them. So so sadly, as much as I want to, I can't say, hey, 
my study shows if you're tidy, no worries, because I, I didn't even do it's that like, analysis. It's like the absence of a link, not... Exactly. It, yeah. It's harder to prove a negative. But I can still do better than my original headline, more bananas, more problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got one that I think I think would cause a lot less banana panic. Eating more bananas tied to higher injury rates in messy people. Because I did I did find that. Right. I feel good about that headline. Yeah. So so back to our, our real study. We are uh, we are leaving banana dumb. Yeah, we're unfortunately coming back to reality. It turns out that in this this B12 lung cancer study, there was also a complicating factor, something that was like pretty damn important when it comes to lung. You have your hand up. Yes, Annie. Smoking. Right. Just like in the banana study, Ted split his data into groups based on smoking. So not tidiness. Not tidiness. So they basically they did the same thing. They split up their big pool into men who were smoking at baseline men who had recently quit, and men who had quit a long time ago. What, what about people who'd never smoked at all? Ah, they were kind of like the really tidy people. There were so few cases of lung cancer. Actually, in this study, it was less than a fifth of a percent of people who never smoked wow. getting lung cancer that okay. you couldn't even run that analysis. You didn't have the statistical power. But they did look at the other groups, and this was their big finding. In men who are current smokers, those who took in high doses of B6 or B12 relative to not taking supplemental B6 to B12 respectively, had three to four fold increases in lung cancer risk. What Ted's study found is that if you smoke and then you add these vitamins mm-hmm. into the mix, mm-hmm. for some reason your risk gets even higher, which is weird. And, and new. And new. Ted, Ted was kind of frustrated because he said a lot of journalists were like, so you're saying smoking causes lung cancer. I'm not going to write that up. <laughs> I feel like we knew that. And he's like, no, 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 no. No, what I'm saying is these vitamins, if you are male and a current smoker, they might make your risk of lung cancer even higher. So if you smoke, this might be a really important finding for you. Uh, although first, an important qualifier this needs to be replicated. So don't make big lifestyle changes based on this. But there's still something interesting here. Like if B12 somehow increases your risk as a smoker, why would that be? Ted is, he wanted to qualify all speculation. He's an epidemiologist. He's not a clinician. He's not a molecular biologist. So he doesn't know why this this vitamin is doing this. He doesn't. Nobody knows. But he did have some ideas. So little pre-cancer cells could be forming inside us all the time, but not all of them necessarily develop into tumors. It could be that the B vitamins are simply feeding an initiated tumor that's not yet malignant. But I don't know. I, I, I can't study that. I don't have any way to study that myself. David wasn't really studied here. Like the analysis that I told you where they looked at subgroups, men who smoked, men who were currently smoking. Yeah. They didn't even do an analysis on never smokers like David. Because they don't have, they have the, the statistical, statistical power. power. There are too few cases of lung cancer, which should be reassuring for David himself. Going back to my friend David. Uh, so whether, you know, oh, ma- poor, ma- David. poor David. David is clearly very angry with me. He was not angry. He was freaked out. He feels like it's a lose-lose situation. What, what, what should I tell him about his, his lung cancer risk? Don't smoke. That's it. It's that simple. If it's neither sufficient nor necessary, 
then don't smoke. Coming up, I give David the good news, and I don't get the reaction I expected. Yes, back. Okay. <laughs> so Why are we here? I was very triumphant because I, I talked to Ted. Yeah. Uh, and Did you tell David? I solved a science problem. We were science sleuths. We sleuthed out. I, I, I called David to tell him. I caught him on a really crummy cell phone. Are you there? Yeah. What's that? Uh, what, the music? Yeah. Apparently I interrupted David uh, watching the latest Google Doodle, which is what he does in his spare time. Google <laughs> was mean... wishing him a, a happy Halloween. <laughs> um, but I paused it. I'll watch it later. Very sweet of David to uh, take a break from his Google Doodle to talk to you. To talk to me. So I told him, guess what? I I tracked down the researcher. I have good news for you. Yay! Ted was emphatic. His study did not say that these vitamins were going to give David lung cancer. So I I was triumphant. I got to the bottom of this little misunderstanding, and I asked David, you know, are you feeling good? Are you reassured? I'm, I'm not reassured. I feel a little bit better, but I'm still not taking B12 like I was before. He wouldn't listen to me. He had every kind of counter argument. Like, uh, this was this this was my favorite argument. So he's like, "Oh, I live in a big city, and there's a lot of pollution in big cities. So, like, technically, in some sense, maybe I do smoke." What? Yeah. I mean, it's an it's an interesting point. Sometimes I think David is just too smart for his own good. He's like a little too clever. (laughs) Yeah. But but in the end, I think it came down to this for David. You know, he saw a scary headline. This happens. I think for all of us, you see yeah. a scary headline. It says something like microwaves are leaking radiation. It just like it plants that seed. Exactly. And then even though you hear a whole Science Friday segment that is reassuring you microwaves are safe, every time you walk by a microwave when it's on, you have the nagging doubt. Anyway, um, I want to try one last thing before I give up on this. Yeah. Wait, is he seriously not taking B12 anymore? So he he's taking it, but he's taking it every other day now. He used to take it every day. So he's but, he's taking it in fear. Yeah, he's scared when he doesn't need to be. Okay. So, so wait, so what's your what's your genius plan? My genius, genius plan, I thought Ted was very convincing. Are you going to set them up? I'm going to set them up. Unfortunately, as I was starting to record Ted and David, my recording software just spontaneously stopped oh, of no. its own. I've never had this happen this before. This is my nightmare. So I asked them to uh, introduce themselves to each other again. Can I uh, get you guys to say hi to each other again? Just <laughs> shame. Yeah, we were we were off to an awkward start. Yeah, so, no, it's not weird. I think I said something like, hi, David. Oh, yeah, and I was, hi, how's it going? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, this is good stuff. It's really believable. <laughs> anyway, introductions out of the way. I got Ted to explain to David what his study actually said. So we talked for a while about that. But, you know, his findings were most relevant to people who smoked or used to. And, of course, what David wanted to know was, what did this mean for him? Just taking your study, what can David learn from it? Does it say anything about him as a non-smoker and whether he should take B12 vitamins? Like, No, it, it doesn't. It, it, the, the entirety of the risk that we saw in men was restricted to current male smokers. Okay, so, so this is where I kind of struggle with because I think that um, the way it was written, at least the abstract, and the way it was taken in the media was 
you taking B12 supplements, if you smoke or not, you're going to have a high risk of, of, of lung cancer. But if you do smoke, our study shows that the, high, the risk is even that much higher. And, and perhaps if you're an epidemiologist, then you'd say, you know, or, or some of your peers or, or, or colleagues would say, yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. I don't know why people would think that way. But for like the layman or someone who just doesn't read these studies or for <laughs> the science journalists or whoever else out there who's taking your data and then, then sensationalizing it on the internet, I think that's where there was some sort of like <laughs> misunderstanding and that, that's caused a bit of panic. It's difficult to address, right? I don't write for a lay audience. I wouldn't know how. I, I write for scientists, I write for clinicians, and I write for, for really specifically other epidemiologists. The Journal of Clinical Oncology is not, it's a subscription journal. Yeah, no, and for sure. Its main audience should not be uh, lay audience. I, I, I'm writing for my peers, and it's mostly understood that there's not going to be enough men, there's not going to be enough people in this study to examine the association of B vitamins or anything else with lung cancer among non-smokers. There are no lung cancer cases among non-smokers. There's so few that we can't do any analysis among those. And Annie, just just so you don't get the wrong impression, like Ted definitely cares what lay audiences are getting from his research. He, he knows that journalists are always going to be sniffing around his papers, especially when they have interesting results like this. So that's what we do is sniff. This is why he writes up press releases that in case in case a journalist gets wind of one of his papers, they have something that's written or we we have something that's written in our language in terms that we are more likely to understand. Thanks, Ted. I actually asked Ted for one more thing. He couldn't really analyze the non-smokers, the never smokers, because right. they didn't have the statistical power. I kept badgering him until he gave me the data. Like, I knew it's dangerous to conclude things from just data points that have not been statistically analyzed. Yeah. But I wanted to know, like, men who never smoke and take these vitamins, did anyone get lung cancer? There were zero cases of lung cancer among men who took B12 at greater than 55 microgram a day over 10 years. Zero cases. By the end of this conversation, I think we were all on the same page. David had the clarity that he was looking for. He was not in danger. But he was he was kind of upset that he'd gone through all this. Like, yeah. Like he spent all of this time worrying. Lung cancer is worth worrying about. And if the science didn't actually say that he was at risk, why was he ever told that he was? I understand the frustration. And, and I am sorry because you're absolutely right. There's nothing I can do to, to undo the amount of time that it's been since this has been published that you've been freaked out. <laughs> and then, I know I, not to make it more than it is. Yeah, no, it's. But it's stressful and it's unfair, and and I agree, and and I'm sorry for for what you know for somebody's got to tell you that they're sorry. Um, <laughs> that's fine. I, like that's the thing. I just I want to say that I don't I don't view it as your fault per se, and you can't obviously know exactly how your paper is going to be misinterpreted or your or your, or your findings are going to be um, misconstrued. So I'd actually talk to Ted a lot about this question. Like, why? How did this happen? What can we all do better so that we don't get these scare headlines? And like, Ted is doing what he needs to do in a lot of ways. He really puts in his time with journalists. Because this is, I take this very seriously. I, it's, I don't like having to receive panicked emails and phone calls from people I don't know, oftentimes from cancer patients. This is not what I want to do with my life, is not freak people out. Which is why Ted Brasky really puts in his time with journalists. 
Ultimately, what happens, though, is that no matter what I say in a three-hour phone interview with somebody in Australia, it may come down to, Brasky says these things cause cancer. And I'm like, what? No, we had a long conversation. I believe that. Ted spent two hours with me the first time, another hour wow. with David trying to sort this out. We talked some more after that. Poor Ted. Like, he's, he's really doing his best to prevent misunderstandings, which I think is, is all that actually happened in this case. Um, you know, talking to Ted and David, the problem they pointed to was journalism trying to sensationalize or taking findings out of context, which... You know, when we're asking why do we keep getting these these flip-flopping headlines, mm. that's probably the main reason, right? You, it's 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 easier, it's more exciting for a journalist to write up a headline that says this study found tomatoes or food mm. X causes mm-hmm. cancer uh, than it is to compile all of the different studies that have been done, put them in context and say results are mixed. We're not sure. There's an interesting pattern worth investigating, right? That's like not exciting. But in this case here, that's not what happened. I don't think that's what happened. I think it was just misunderstanding, which, you know, this is why we we have fact checkers, which is why when we're paraphrasing a scientist and we're not sure we really understood them, we usually try to run that check, double check. But but even so, I think there's there's a deeper problem. You don't know what you don't know is the problem. Exactly. I don't think it ever occurred to Ted some of the misunderstandings that I would have or that or that David would have. If you're working in epidemiology, you know that lung cancer pretty much exclusively happens in people who smoke, maybe people who are exposed to asbestos, people mm-hmm. who are exposed to secondhand smoke. Like there are certain things that are tightly associated with lung cancer. And so it doesn't occur to you that people would misunderstand that you're talking about an increased risk of lung cancer in people who have a risk. So even though Ted spends hours of time talking to journalists, if it doesn't occur to him which mistakes they're going to make, he's not going to think to correct them, and they're not going to think to ask. I I still hope that this was a useful exercise for all of us. I actually told Ted how I would have wanted him to do better. Um, I wanted him to put a line in his abstract, even though it was written for his peers, a line that basically said, by the way, we didn't do the analysis for non-smokers, which is a weird line to put in in an abstract. Like, we didn't do this, we didn't do this, and therefore didn't find anything. Right. But for me, it would have been been useful. And Ted was like... If I had the word count, I would probably do that. You just are limited by what you can say. The journal has rules. You don't play by the rules, you don't get published. <laughs> it's not hey like... Man, I feel I feel that. It's just how it is, right? You're going to write something someday and you're stuck with deadlines and, and sort of uh, word requirements and so on. It's You have to choose your words to get your point across to the people who are your audience. It's tough without having a million footnotes, which you obviously can't, you can't do it all in, in a podcast. Um, oh, dear God. Undiscovered is reported and produced by me, Ella Fetter. And me, Annie Minoff. Our senior editor is Christopher Intagliata. Our composer is Daniel Peterschmidt. And our production intern is Caitlin Swalje. I am Robot and Proud, wrote our theme. <laughs>
This week we had fact-checking help from Michelle Harris, and we sure hope we got it right. For more on this episode, including those sweet, sweet footnotes we know you love, and a link to Ted's study, go to undiscoveredpodcast.org. And now that we have a taste for science sleuthing, we want to do more of this stuff. If you have a science question like David's or one of our episodes got you wondering about something and you demand answers, we might help you. Maybe. No promises. Write us on Twitter at UndiscoveredPod or send us an email at undiscovered at sciencefriday.com. Finally, thank you for the super nice reviews on Apple Podcasts from Love in the Phone, Jay Loveybird, and a surprisingly nice review from Level 4 Deadly Virus. <laughs> we are loving your usernames. If you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we always appreciate it. See you next week. It's kind of like you don't know, or you you don't know, I was going to say you don't know what you don't know, but you don't know because you do know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel you, Ted. <laughs>